Hello and welcome to CFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Hartz, and today we're going through every single Week 15 matchup. That's all 16 bye weeks are a thing of the past. Still got plenty of uh, you know injuries to sift through and matchups to uh, just enhance and enlighten everyone because, look, everybody, it is round two of the Fantasy Football Playoffs semifinals. For those counting out there, we got to make it to Week 16 Championship Sunday. Very special guest. Someone's been on this podcast more times than just about anybody at this point, and that is PFF's own Andrew Erickson. Find him on Twitter at Andrew Erickson underscore score because apparently there's another Andrew Erickson out there that you should be feuding with man but Andrew happy week 15. Yeah I just try to spread the love on the social media platforms I tried you know I'll try to critique players here and there but then you just get a bunch of negative feedback so you know I'm just gonna spread the love and that, that's the approach I go with but yeah dude week 15 semifinals for most leagues in the fantasy playoffs I I escaped one of my leagues I went up against Derrick Henry but I I trudged on with Nick Chubb so I was able to move on to the next round so I'm looking forward to week 15. Yeah, Travis Kelsey pretty much murdered half my freaking fantasy playoff teams. But that's a thing in the past, and of course, nobody cares about our fantasy teams. But we care about yours, and we want to give you the best information possible. So without further ado, we got the Chargers at Raiders starting things off on Thursday night. Raiders favored by three and a half points, game total at 55, down to 53. So I've had some people just over the last few weeks, you know, kind of hypothesize that, hey, Justin Herbert with Austin Eckler has been a worse version of himself. So what do we do when we're watching games and we think that there might be, you know, stats to back up this trend? We go and look at it. And it has been true. It has been true, people. Justin Herbert, five against Austin Eckler, 66.9 PFF passing grade, five touchdowns, six interceptions, 6.1 yards per attempt, seven yard average target depth without Austin Eckler in seven games, 79.8 PFF passing grade, 20 touchdowns, four interceptions, 7.7 yards per attempt, and a full 1.1 extra yards of average target depth. And look, with Austin Eckler, I mean, they played the Chiefs, Panthers, Bills, Patriots, and Falcons. Like, that's not a murderer's road or a situation where I think they just benefited from, you know, a rough five games in that stretch. I think it truly is. This is what happens when you have a quarterback that has such a big arm and so much ability to get outside the pocket pocket reduces someone that's throwing screens all freaking game I and mean, for him to go 36 of 44 and have under 300 passing yards like we, we've seen Herbert make all sorts of throws throughout this year and I think when they go th- so much through Austin Eckler similar to what we saw in Carolina with Teddy Bridgewater forcing force feeding you know Christian McCaffrey uh, to start the year and then once McCaffrey left they were actually a more efficient offense because they were getting the ball the running back still but more so in the play design so I don't think it's on Herbert at all I don't think it's on Eckler at all both are objectively great football players I think it's on the play calling and you know Anthony Lynn to figure something out to try to get this offense to flow better. Talent's there, and guess what? In fantasy land, we don't really care how Eckler's getting the targets. He is. He's going to continue to be an RB1. I think this Raiders team is bad enough. You know, they just freaking fired the defensive coordinator, obviously. Secondary is bad enough to really enable Herbert and these guys as well. So, you know, more of a just, uh, I guess, uh, looking at the overall situation, how the Chargers could be a much better offense uh, than they have been. It's unfortunate, but keep going back to the ball, particularly in this matchup. Andrew, Raiders, they had that dud against the Falcons a couple weeks ago. But other than that, man, they keep putting up points. Yeah, I think a lot of that has to do with uh, this exceptional play of Nelson Aguilar, who is quietly kind of putting a a, a Devontae Parker light season here, kind of breaking out a little bit. And I think that's the thing. People have the issue where he's been a bust, you know, for the majority of his career. And a lot of people kind of felt the same way about Devontae Parker, including myself last year. Just couldn't, you know, buy back in after all the years of just disappointment but Nelson Aguilar, he's been the number one wide receiver for the Oakland or the Las Vegas Raiders this year. Again, last week, five catches for 100 yards and a touchdown. And he's ranking so high in these end zone targets. He leads the NFL in end zone targets over the last four weeks. He is Carr's main guy when they go into 
go into scoring outside of Darren Waller. So, look, you know, total expected fantasy points per game, ranked 16th among wide receivers since week 11. 21 targets inside the 10-yard line is top 10 among all players. So, look, you got to roll with Aguilar. I mean, don't think that it's a fluke because it's not. I mean, yeah, he drops the ball, but a lot of players do. So, again, just get over the drops. It's a great matchup against the LA Chargers. No team will have more fantasy points to wide receivers than they did just last week. So, and yeah, Aguilar, fantasy points per touch, number one in the league. Number one in the league. Hell of a stat there, Andrew. And yeah, I think at this point, we got to lay off the Aguilar drop thing. Deontay Johnson has seized that drop crown <laughs> until we see something otherwise. Look, Deontay has a league-high 12 drops this year. I'm looking it up now. Aguilar, he's all the way down at seven. Even uh, Miles Sanders and DK Metcalf have more drops than Nelson Aguilar this year. So credit to him. It's okay for players to get better as their career goes on. Next matchup, we got the Bills at the Broncos. Buffalo opened up as five-point favorites. That's now up to six and a half. Game total 48 up to 50. Josh Allen, oh my goodness, the guy just keeps on keeping on. Last week against the Steelers was even more impressive because the 49ers game, you know, look, nobody can get within five yards of the guy when he was in the pocket. But just throughout this year, one thing that's impressed me the most is just his continued uh, improv- improvisational ability, if that's even a freaking word at this point. But, you know, we've always known he could do it. He has the arm strength. He has the athletic ability to get outside the pocket. But you just never knew where the ball was going to go. It might be on a line straight into his receiver's chest. It might be in the triple coverage to a fullback 50 yards down the field. Like we just haven't always known what he's going to do, but this year been fantastic. One of our cool tools, uh, you know, behind the scenes at PFF, we can go through what a quarterback does in their first read, their second read, a check down or in a scramble drill. Looking at those scramble drill situations, Josh Allen is fourth in PFF passing grade, second in yards per attempt, three touchdowns and not a single interception when working the scramble drill. So he's reined in his decision-making and he's been more efficient than ever throwing the ball down the field. So love to see it. And then just with this matchup, the Broncos, they remind me of the 49ers. Like it's still a very well-coached defense, but they just don't have the overall talent to deal with great offenses. Don't get it twisted. Buffalo Bills are anyone's idea of a great offense. We can even throw the word elite out there. They've earned it at this point, even without John Brown. Gabriel Davis has filled in flawlessly. So Josh Allen, going back to well with him. He's my QB3 in fantasy land on the week. Still tough to get behind Singletary, Zach Moss, and then we obviously we know Stefan Diggs, top five, you know, top five maybe, real life and fantasy at this point. That's a longer conversation, at least top 10, and Cole Beasley we're going to keep firing up as well. And Gabriel Davis, if you really need someone, he's there as a boomer bust uh, wide receiver three-esque option. Andrew, we got the Broncos. I was getting a lot of heat last week for uh, hyping up my boy Drew Locke. He came through. You uh, you buying it, continuing? Yeah, I'm not going to buy. I'm going to sell. <laughs> I'm going to sell the fourth touchdown performance from Drew Locke. And look, I mean, that's what he's been doing all year. He's just been bombing it down the field, league-leading, average depth of target, 10.1. You know, when you cut off Joe Flacco's attempts, Joe Flacco is number one. He had to just include that in there. But when you cut it off of a certain amount of passing attempts, it is Drew Locke that is the leader. But look, the matchup against the Buffalo Bills doesn't call for the bombs away to necessarily hit. No team has faced a lower percentage of 20-plus yard throws this year than the Bills, 6.1%. And the next closest team is at 9.3%. So, there's a significant drop-off in terms of the Bills kind of limiting these big passing plays and not giving the offense those types of looks. So I don't know if we're going to see Locke just drop bombs away, and that really hurts. Again, a lot of his receivers, and you're trying to figure out, okay, like which one of these receivers could potentially you know, be open underneath? And the answer is kind of none of them because none of them really are the underneath option. They all run deep. They all get targeted down the field. So I would still lean towards Tim Patrick kind of being the safest guy. He's been the most consistent you know, with Locke under center, and basically, you know, all the other guys are, you know, super low quarterback ratings when he's targeted them. Jerry Judy's been struggling with Drew Locke, not 
not a fault of Judy on his own because he's seeing opportunities, he's seeing targets, but usually they're in nowhere near where he can catch them. So that's a problem here. So Tim Patrick is the guy I would go to. 14.6 fantasy points per game since week nine. He's got some touchdowns, but when he doesn't score, he usually gets racks up yardage. He actually ranks fourth in average yards per route run since week 10, 2.45, when you exclude the game where they play with the practice squad wide receiver at quarterback. You got to throw that in there. Can't have the people coming after me saying, hey, what about that one game? You got to exclude it there. And besides the receivers, I think Melvin Gordon is in a really good spot this week. Buffalo Bills have PFF's worst ranked defense, and Melvin Gordon has been quietly productive over the past couple weeks. Average 7.1 yards per attempt, 3.4 yards after contact per attempt, and a PFF rushing grade of 80.0.6. And Phil Lindsay, man, has just been like, he's just been getting carries for like zero yards the last couple weeks. So I don't know how effective he is. So Melvin Gordon gets the goal line touches, gets work in the passing game. So he's a solid start this week. Yeah, I am happy you excluded that game. We got to do it. Anytime you got that practice squad wide receiver playing QB, that that deserves uh, to adjust some numbers for the pass catchers all the way around. Next matchup, Panthers at Packers, Green Bay. Open as 9.5 point favorites, down slightly to 8.5 game. Total holding steady at 51. Shout out to Mike Davis for one of the great under-the-radar really 2020 seasons. He has 64 missed tackles this year. Only Dalvin Cook has more at 71. I know sometimes with this stat, it ends up being a volume situation. Obviously, you have, you know, when you have 250 plus touches or whatever it is you have more chances to rack up force missed tackles per touch not mike davis he has been the best running back in the league in terms of force missed tackles per touch so number two in raw totals and number one in freaking efficiency truly has been having a great year he's above average in pretty much every single statistic you know rushing pff grade receiving pff grade yards after contact per touch i mean look he's had 507 career touches at this point he's been on four teams since entering the league in 2015 he's turned 20 he turns 28 in february man but i'm excited to see where Mike Davis goes and lands in 2021 because we've seen he can be a high-end fantasy RB1 legitimately when he has the opportunity to do so. So I'm not sure that anybody, I know the Panthers aren't going to be lining up to give him a starting job (laughs) next year. They already got their man, Christian McCaffrey. But I do wonder, you know, one of these other teams that doesn't want to necessarily draft one too high or anything like that, I do think Mike Davis can go out there and at least be a high-end backup RB as he's been this year, if not someone's true starter. So exciting storyline to watch in the offseason. And yeah, Christian McCaffrey, who coach Matt Rule said he plans on McCaffrey playing again in 2020. But if he's out again for week 15, we got to continue to treat Mike Davis as the top 15 fantasy back. He's pretty much been every single week, particularly against the Packers defense. That is the league's second worst unit in PPR points per game allowed to opposing backfields. Obviously, if McCaffrey's back. He needs to be in fantasy football lineups of all shapes and sizes. He's actually averaging. It's only been three games, but he's averaging more PPR points this year than he even did last year in his historical <laughs> 2019 season. Just a true fantasy football cheat code. Andrew, Packers. Fun stat I heard today is that they've only beaten one team, I believe, with a winning record all year. I don't really care, though. To me, they look like maybe the number one, two contender out of the NFC. Yeah, I mean, they just keep stomping on people. And it's becoming like a joke where I think you tweeted something at it where Devontae Adams just, it just he's going to score every single week. It doesn't matter. It just, every it's, week. it's locked and loaded, you know, 14 touchdowns this year. And he's already missed a bunch of games and it doesn't matter. I mean, you could argue that he could have, you know, been on pace potentially, you know, match Randy Moss's record if he had played in all the games. So, I mean, Aaron Rodgers has 39 touchdowns, leads the NFL in touchdown passes. So, look, you want pieces of this team because, look, if you're in a pinch, you're up against, you know, a guy that's playing Travis Kelsey, like you mentioned. Like, if you got Tanyan, like, okay, there's a guy that has potential three touchdown upside in his range of outcomes because he's attached to Aaron Rodgers. I mean, the Carolina Panthers just gave up four passing touchdowns to Drew Locke. So what do you think they're going to give up to Aaron Rodgers? Like, take it easy. 
It's, I mean, it's going to be at least, I mean, at least three passing touchdowns and good chance that Robert Tanya finds one because he scored four times in the last four weeks. He's got nine passing touchdowns or nine catching touchdowns this season from Aaron Rodgers. So love Robert Tanyan this week, especially it's a good match against the Carolina Panthers. Six most fantasy points allowed tight ends over the past four weeks. Look, in the snaps with Aaron Jones, it's, it's, here's the thing, you know, the analyst community, we were on it. We were like, Aaron Jones is going to regress. We were spot on. We just forgot to put the touchdowns, give them to Aaron Rodgers. We just kind of let them dissipate into, you know, some, somewhere where we didn't account for them. We should have done that. But look, Aaron Jones, the, the touchdown equity is in Aaron Rodgers' arm. So that's why he hasn't had these, you know, difference making performances. Yes, you're going to start him. Yes, it's Carolina Panthers. But again, you ate a smash spot last week against the Detroit Lions. You know, didn't deliver a, you know, league, you know, winning or a week winning kind of performance. But that's kind of what you have to expect with Aaron Jones at this point. I like this matchup specifically with him just because the Panthers have been a little bit more lenient in terms of giving up receptions to running back. So hopefully, hey, Rodgers and Jones can connect on a touchdown so that everyone is happy. You know, we get both Aarons, you know, smiling. So that's what I would look at with Aaron Jones. And then Marquez Valdez-Scantling, look. It looked like he was never going to catch another target ever again or get targeted after Aaron Rodgers gave him that death glare you know, two weeks ago. But he caught all six of his catchable targets last week. And look, you need a high upside play. It's a really good matchup. I mean, I don't mind rolling the dice with MVS. It's, it's really risky. But, you know, if anyone's going to catch a touchdown, it would probably be him. Yeah, I mean, Alan Lazard actually has been getting some limited snaps over the past few weeks. So MVS, you know, does it really make sense that he hasn't been benched yet? Not really, but hey, he hasn't been. <laughs> Rodgers is still wanting to go back to the well. Uh, next matchup, we got the 49ers at the Cowboys. San Fran open as two and a half point favorites off the three and a half game total holding steady of 45 and a half. So just amazing what Kyle Shanahan's kind of done with this offense all year long, despite having to, you know, riffle through different quarterbacks, despite having, you know, different running backs hurt all year, losing George Kittle for most, uh, most of the season. Debo Samuel on and off. Brandon Ayuk started to get hurt. Pretty much everyone that was worth a damn to this offense has been hurt at one point or another. Does does not matter. Kyle Shanahan is incapable of having anything resembling a below average offense. This year, the 49ers running backs are ninth in yards before contact per rush. And again, without even having a mobile QB or just a consistent backfield, that's an incredible mark to still be in the top 10. And like my favorite stat from Shanahan this year is the 49ers average 7.9 yards per attempt on passes thrown, you know, thrown in quotation marks behind the line of scrimmage. The Browns are the second closest team at 6.8. They're a full 1.1 yards better than the next closest team when balls don't even pass the line of scrimmage absolute madness so yeah in this one look cowboys defense okay they shut down i think the single worst team in the league right now the brandon allen led Bengals last week good for them i think most are in brandon i would go absolutely bonkers in this spot Again, Cowboys defense, by far the league's worst unit in yards before contact per rush. We saw the Browns go for 307 yards. The Cardinals, 261. Washington, 208 and 182. Uh, more recently, the Ravens at 294. So, you know, Moster has been someone who's a little banged up. Had an MRI, I believe, on his knee on Monday. So, we got to keep an eye on that. Uh, Debo Samuel, you know, if he's back in action with a hamstring injury, okay, we can look at him. But assuming that Mostert's out there, maybe Debo's not, man, we're going to see a lot of this volume concentrated to Mostert, to Ayuk, even Jeff Wilson a little bit. And it's against the leagues truly maybe not the single worst defense but anyone's idea of a bottom three bottom five unit so don't be afraid to fire up uh, Moster and Ayuk in particular in those fantasy football playoffs I am more than confident this matchup will yield the sort of results that we are looking for Andrew Andy Dalton is at eight decent quarters since Dak went down do you think he gets up to 12 this week probably not no I mean <laughs> Look, this is like a depressing team to write about just because, or just like to talk about in general, just because they were so exciting during that first month of the year with Dak Prescott. And look, I mean, Ezekiel Elliott, man, it's, 
He's like a fringe RB2. Again, he had a really good matchup last week, and he couldn't finish inside the top 30 running back. So, look, again, you could blame it on, oh, he doesn't score any touchdowns, but that's part of the offense that you have now because there's no Dak. They're not going to be in They're in less scoring opportunity, so he doesn't have a chance to fall in the end zone. We're seeing Tony Pollard get more run again. I know part of that you know, reason last week was because they were blowing out the the Bengals, but still, even before that, you know, Tony Pollard had been getting more snaps, and Elliott's not seeing that like 85% snap share that we saw him like playing during the beginning of the year and during like all of last year when he was you know the guy so look it's not a good matchup fifth fewest fantasy points to the running backs over the past four weeks and this is kind of different from you know miles sanders or someone i was obviously i was low on last week and kind of was telling people to 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 sit him and obviously that didn't work out but you know miles sanders at least has juice like i, I like i know that and with zeke right now i'm just struggling to see that with this offensive line just with this offense that there's no changes coming anytime soon so I just don't really like, you know, Elliott at all in this spot. You know, probably going to be outside, you know, low RB2 for me. Amari Cooper, I think, is fine, though. He's averaged 18.9 fantasy points per game with Andy Dalton in his three home starts. And I think that matters because Cooper always, you know, he plays really well in domes. He plays well at home. And so I like rolling with him. He's got wide receiver, too, with upside. He's actually been, it's so weird. You think that in a year where they have, like, 12 different quarterbacks, that Amari Cooper's production will be all over the place. But he's actually been, like strangely consistent which has like been what he's never been throughout his entire career so we're gonna get consistent amari cooper but i mean that's what 2020 is at this point the haters they used to say utter the ridiculous phrase average amari have been proven wrong yet again amari cooper might not ever be the top five consistent receiver that you know people have seen him flash the ability to be uh, over the course of an entire season but kudos to him for consistently being really a top 15 top 12 option for the better part of the last few years and it's particularly with the cowboys next matchup we got the seahawks facing the washington football team seattle opened as three-point favorites up to five and a half perhaps due to alex smith and dwayne haskins having some uncertainty under center game total 45 and a half down to 44 and a half so look russ has cooled off a bit since the beginning of the year but truly this is still the second best season of his career in terms of pff passing grade he already has a career high 36 uh, touchdowns also career high 14 interceptions you know he passed the ball a little more you're going to have those uh, jump up too but he's also never been more accurate in completion rate and adjusted completion rate alike so just a great season from russ i think one thing that's actually gone under the radar is that he's gotten back to run the ball he has 32.5 rushing yards per game this season he cleared 30 in each of his first four years in the league but didn't even get to 25 in three of his next four so we know russ has the wheels to do so he just hasn't always had this fancy friendly rushing floor and i think that emergence has helped him kind of get over this you know slightly reduced second half for him at least you know relative to what he was doing earlier in the year so not an easy matchup we saw with chase young company and montez sweat and Jerome Payne and all those beasts on the defensive line for washington we've seen them take over and straight up win games over the course of the year week one against the eagles cowboys even last week against the 49ers but the only two instances that they've allowed, allowed at least 25 points to an opposing QB in terms of fantasy points have come against dual threats like Kyler Murray, who had 32, and Lamar Jackson, who had 25. So Russell Wilson fits that mold. He can get away from these guys at least for a little bit. And then I think these cornerbacks get a lot less scary once you take away the pass rush that has, been, again, been able to fold uh, offensive lines from around the league. So it's not going to be an easy matchup, but, you know, Russ, we've gotten this far. We are not benching him. Lockett, Metcalf, even if there's a fire this week in this matchup. Chris Carson, maybe if Rashad Penny's back, you should just reduce your expectations. But come on, you're still putting him in the lineup. But seriously, people, like when Rashad Penny was healthy last year, it was a true 50-50 split between him and Hyde towards the end of the year. I imagine they're going to ease Penny back into it. That's why I'm saying you're, you're starting Chris Carson, but definitely something to keep an eye on as we get ready for Championship Sunday in Week 16. 
Andrew, the Washington football team won last week with fewer than 200 total yards, and they had two defensive touchdowns. I mean, come on. Are we trusting anybody here right now? I mean, you're, you you list off those statistics, and I think you're talking about the New England Patriots. So, I mean, yeah, you can't you can't really trust a lot of these uh, these Washington footballers, just the way they look at it. And look, you know, McLaurin has put up back-to-back dud weeks, and I don't know if this is, you know, the greatest spot for him as well. Again, he's going to probably be in your starting line just because he is the alpha wide receiver, and he's done well in, in bad matchups before. But look, the Seahawks defense is not the same mockery to start the season that they were. You know, you look at any points per game, fantasy points per game, Seahawks are going to rank dead last in anything you look at season long. But over the last four weeks, they have allowed the fewest fantasy points per game to the wide receiver position. It has not been the same type of defense. You know, Carlos Dumbett didn't play last week, but he's been an insurgence into their pass rush. They're starting to get a little bit healthier, starting to get some corners back. They're just starting to just, you know, basically they were just playing so bad that they just had to regress in some way to just be not as bad as they were during the start of the season. So that's why you're seeing all those numbers season long of them ranking so badly. But I don't know if this is the exact smash spot that we all might hope to be for Terry McLaurin. But they are still allowing a lot of yardage and receptions, 26th in running back yardage and receptions, 22nd to the running back position. So I think J.D. McKissick, again, it was surprising to see him kind of work in the ground game a little bit more than, you know, kind of split with Peyton Barber a little bit. Again, that may have been done with the game script. But, I mean, if they're chasing points in this game, you know that it's going to be McKissick that's going to be tonning a ton of targets in the passing game. Obviously, you'd like to have Alex Smith in that scenario, which it sounds like he's probably going to play. But either way, I mean, I expect McKissick to see a lot of targets in this matchup because, you know, hey, they're not going to win this game probably. So they're going to be behind. They're going to see McKissick. But the only guy I probably like is a streamer. Look, Logan Thomas, man, he's like breaking tight end in terms of, oh, matchups? No, Logan Thomas doesn't matter. He's played the back-to-back two toughest matchups for tight ends, the 49ers and Steelers, and he's been a tight end one in both of them. He's fourth in fantasy points among tight ends over the past two weeks. And he actually gets like a softer matchup this week against the Seahawks. Ninth most fantasy points to tight ends over the past four weeks. So, I mean, maybe Logan Thomas just does really good in in bad matchups and sucks in good matchups. But I I think you got to go back to Logan Thomas this week. I don't think so. I mean, he had nine catches, 98 yards, touchdown against the Steelers. He's out here making plays, man. I thought, if anything, at the beginning of the year, I mean, like, his touchdown against the Eagles in week one, that got a lot of people on him. It was like blown coverage, no one even near him. He's actually been making, you know, legit plays over the past few weeks and probably their second-best receiver on the year behind only Terry McLaurin. So, credit to Logan Thomas, XQB. I don't know if you people have ever heard that Logan Thomas used to play quarterback, but it is actually true. And Chris Hogan, lacrosse, and all that. Next matchup, Bears at Vikings. Vikings sitting as three-and-a-half-point favorites. Game total of 47. So, David Montgomery, one of only six RBs to have forced at least 50 forced missed tackles this season. Dalvin Cook, Mike Davis, David Montgomery, Derek Henry, Kareem Hunt, Josh Jacobs. And you say, Ian, that's only because David Montgomery gets all these carries all the time. No, because Montgomery is second to only Mike Davis among 74 backs with at least 50 touches in terms of just forced missed tackles per touch. He's been racking them up. He's, you know, just, we were talking about this on Sunday on the Sirius XM. Pro Football Focus Radio Show with Andrew seven to nine. My on Sunday, myself five to th- five to seven on Saturday. But like, what more does David Montgomery have to do to get the respect of everyone? People, I know it's been some easy matchups over the past few weeks, but again, these force missed tackles numbers. Like he's doing everything he can with what is available to him. Only the Texans, Chargers, and Jets have averaged fewer yards before contact per rush than Montgomery. And a lot of times we look at this and he said, "Well, he can't ever create big plays. He's just getting these meaningless missed force tackles." 80-yard touchdown last week. Had another 50-plus yarder against the Packers. The guy's doing everything we want from him. I mean, I don't honestly know really the difference between Montgomery and Jonathan Taylor over these past two years to some extent because Montgomery was 
largely trashed the first 11, 12 weeks of 2019. And he ended the season really strong, which people didn't really take much notice to it because it was the Bears. They weren't, you know, contenders or anything like that. Jonathan Taylor didn't do much the first 11, 12 weeks. Now he's looking like a freaking league winner, potentially, at the end of the season. So we'll see how 2021 looks for Jonathan Taylor. But Montgomery truly has been playing awesome football ever since the back half of that 2019 season. And now he is no longer just a volume-induced RB2. He has been a volume-induced RB1. We're continuing to treat him like that against the Vikings. David Montgomery, Allen Robinson, even Mitchell Trubisky, man. I mean, this Bears offense, credit them, averaging 30 points per game in three games since their bye. So it hasn't been pretty, but Trubisky has actually given us up-and-down fantasy consideration. This is my last point here. I mean, Trubisky this year, truly, he's been more boomer busty as a QB, which is what he was in 2018, not so much 2019, but in week one, he was the QB seven. In week 12, he was the QB nine. In week 14, he was the QB... I, he was the QB4 before Monday night. So even if Baker and Lamar passed him, we're talking about the QB6. So really, Trubisky has been giving us that boom and bust uh, upside. And the Vikings, they cannot rush the quarterback and they don't have the much talent in the back end to hold up. So Montgomery, A-Rob, and even Mitch Trubisky, I think he could do worse in the fantasy playoffs. Andrew, Minnesota Vikings, offense continues to look good. But Kirk Cousins against the Bears up and down the past. What are you feeling this week? Yeah, and also just last point on the Bears, too. I think Cole Komet is, is really a struggling yes, play, too. Right. You know, seven targets back-to-back -back weeks. Again, Jimmy Graham caught the touchdown. It's going to happen sometimes, but follow the targets. He's a rookie with upside. Like, he has, like, juice. He is burst. Like, he can make a big play. Jimmy Graham can't. So that can potentially be a difference maker for you at tight end. Uh, so, yes, the Minnesota Vikings offense. Look, the Bears haven't been as good as, you know, their name would proclaim that they are, you know. Last couple weeks, they've allowed the fourth most fancy points to quarterbacks, eighth most fancy points to wide receivers in the past four weeks. So again, Kirk Cousins did fine against them on the road in Chicago, 291 yards and two touchdowns. I believe it was on a Monday night game too, where Kirk Cousins usually just crumbles. So to see him, you know, have a decent fantasy game, you know, against the Bears on the road, gives me a lot of hope that he'll do fine in this matchup. They're back at home in the Dome, 25.5 fantasy points per game. And really, that's the thing when I look at home road splits, at least this year, just because there's no fans. I'm, I'm looking at games in domes. Because, look, the Jordan Akins thing, that wouldn't have happened if they were playing in a dome. Yeah. Like, he wouldn't have, <laughs> that, that would not have happened if there was no sun. So, I think that's important to just recognize that there are more, these offense environments, and just look at all the projected point totals. If you look at any of them, all the dome games are all risen up a lot higher. I believe the Raiders and Chargers has the highest, and they're obviously playing inside. So, I think that's important to kind of note there. So, I think that, yeah, the Kirk Cousins is in a good spot this week. The Bears ranked dead last in explosive pass play percentage to wide receivers since week 11. So Justin Jefferson, baby, electrifying, you know, the highest graded rookie, PFF, everything, yards per route run. Like the dude is just breaking everything. And it sucks because he's like the only other rookie season that's been like on par with him, of course, is like Randy Moss, who just happens to also be on the Vikings. So he can't break any of these Viking rookie records because Randy Moss has them all. But he rose to the Bears secondary last time they played them 135 yards on eight catches back in week 10. So go back to Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, and Irv Smith Jr. is a good play. If Kyle Rudolph misses, Chicago has struggled versus tight end this season, allowed the fourth most fantasy points to the position over the last four weeks. It was weird, his usage last week. You know, Tyler Conklin was actually kind of running ahead of him, but Irv Smith was questionable all week, so I think that just had to do with the fact that he was kind of banged up. They were kind of limiting his snaps. I would expect him to probably run ahead of uh, Tyler Conklin in this matchup. 
Yeah, I talked a little bit, a little bit about that on the uh, Tuesday edition of this podcast uh, where, I, where I go over the waiver wire uh, stuff. And yeah, I, I'm with you. Just make keep an eye on the Vikings uh, injury report this week. If Irv is like now practicing and full this week and good to go, because I don't think he got banged up again or anything, then we can really feel confident about it. But he's a talented guy. Just got to make sure he's out there on the field. A quick sponsor shout out, everybody. Got some great things to say about North One. You know, business banking made for America. So look, we got a problem. American business builders spend too much damn time Time trying to manage their money when they should be focusing on growing their business. What's the solution? American businesses, American business builders need a bank account that makes the hardest part of running their business easy. So why can North One do this? Well, they spoke to thousands of business owners across the country to come up with a banking product that was built to meet the needs of these really hardworking Americans. As we build on our own product by adding new features and expanding their capabilities, they continue to speak to business owners every day to find out what North One can do to make their lives easier. Guys, we got some key product features. North One will manage money and make payments and bills from anywhere at home or on the go. You can connect your bank account to the tools your business uses every day, like Stripe, Cash App, QuickBooks, and more. Set up sub-accounts to help you save for big expenses like rent, payroll, and tax time. Deposit and send checks digitally. No more searching for your checkbook. Withdraw or deposit cash at ATMs nationwide. $10 per month with no hidden fees, people. Sign up for a North One account in only three minutes. And people, like I said, business banking made for America. Love our friends at North One. Patriots at Dolphins. Miami opened up as three-point favorite size down to minus two. 44-point uh, game total down to 41 and a half. So found some interesting stuff about the Patriots today because as bad as their offense looked against the Rams uh, last Thursday night, look, the Rams have had a top three defense all year, and they honestly might be playing better than any defense in the league at this moment. And you just look at it as a whole, the 2020 Patriots – offense has actually averaged a better EPA per play rate than the 2019 Patriots. And look, neither has been good. The Patriots ranked 22nd in 2020 and in 2019, they were 20th. So neither offense has been anything even resembling average, but the 2020 Patriots, they've been worse in passing specifically 0.062 worse, but they've been 0.113 better in rushing. I mean, the effect Cam Newton has actually had on this run game. You see Sonny Michelle averaging 5.3 yards per carry. Damian Harris, five yards per carry. Yes, this passing game was clearly much better at Tom Brady under center, and even with some of these stats, I think we'd all agree we want Tom Brady instead of Cam Newton under center in New England. I'm not trying to say that, but the differences between the overall kind of just overall pie that this, these offenses have produced is a lot smaller than I think people are giving credit for. The main difference between 2019 and 2020 Patriots is the fact that this defense is no longer a freaking juggernaut. So you look at what they were last season, and it was specifically that, a juggernaut. A juggernaut. And as I'm getting the EPA per play, like they were giving up minus 0.241 EPA per play last year. Like you almost never see hardly any defenses get in the negatives. This year they're at, you know, 0.03 in the positive side of things. So the difference between the Patriots defense in 2020 and 2019 has basically been four times what, what this thing's saying it's been from Tom Brady to Cam Newton. So again, not the best year for Cam Newton by any stretch of the imagination, but it's been such a hard environment to really judge him with because of their you know, inabilities at receiver, because of how bad the defenses have been. And just, you know, his own play at times so very tough but you know the only guy we can trust in this offense even a little bit is cam newton as in, in the running game because all the guy does is pick up fantasy friendly first downs and touchdowns league high 41.6 percent of cam newton's rushes have gone for a first down or a touchdown this year he owns the top 
four marks since 2010 and just highest percentages of a, in a season of getting the first down or a touchdown. Cam Newton, his legs are still fine. It's been a struggle in the passing game. I get it. But just realize this offense not quite as bad as we saw previously. Cam, you know, he's my QB, I believe, 15 or 16 on the week. So I actually would go like with Trubisky over him and some of these other, you know, streamer type guys. But, you know, lay off Cam a little bit in the future, everybody. Now that you know some of these wonderful PFF built statistics. Andrew, Tua played pretty damn well last week. What do you think about the Dolphins this week? Yeah, he showed out statistically versus Kansas City Chiefs. Again, he was severely undermanned. You know, he lost Devontae Parker, lost Kaseki, Jakeem Grant, didn't have Miles Gaskin going into the game. So, yeah, and it doesn't look like a lot of those guys are going to be back for week 15. So, look, I mean, if Tua had his guys, then, yeah, it'd be like, okay, like, we were in the conversation. You know, we played pretty well against the Chiefs. Like, maybe we can use him in this spot, but not against the Patriots. Again, they just friggin' shut down Justin Herbert, who is on fire entering that game. And, you know, we've all heard the record of Bill Belichick. It's like 19-4 against rookie quarterbacks. So it's just not a, wor- a bet worth trying to make on Tua this week. There's way many too many other options you could go to. It's not it's not worth the risk to try to go after Tua. And even though the Patriots have had their ups and downs on defense in there, historically have always laid eggs when they've played in Miami. So that's something I would probably ignore. Look, he's going to be going with DeAndre Washington, Lynn Bowden, Adam Shaheen, potentially being his top weapons. And look, I think Lynn Bowden is actually really interesting just through the fact that he, first of all, has wide receiver and running back eligibility in a lot of different formats. So if you're hurting at running back, like this guy has nine catches on 10 targets from the slot and has seen 13 targets overall in the last two weeks. So at running back, like I'll take that, you know, all day. If you can get that and put that into your RB2 slot or a flex, I think that he's a really good option because, look, they need to throw the ball to someone if they're going to be trailing in this game. Again, this isn't a game where, oh, I got to, like, stack it for DFS. It's the last thing you want to do because of the Patriots just absolutely kill, you know, scoring because of their run heaviness. So I do think that Lynn Bowden's in play. And you look at the way that the Patriots have kind of flowed targets, their defense, it's really gone to the slot, and that's where Lynn Bowden has really played faced the third most slot targets to wide receivers over the past four weeks and new england cornerback jonathan jones yeah he's a good cornerback but he is the most targeted cornerback in the nfl 22 percent of his coverage snaps he is targeted which is the highest in the nfl so look if i'm gonna promise you lynn bowden's gonna get 10 targets in this game whether or not he what he does with them is is up to him but if you know he's gonna get 10 targets or so then you're gonna play him yeah, I feel better about him than Washington. Generally, just try to stay away from this game. But if you are a little bit desperate, Lynn Bowden is probably your guy. Next matchup, we got the Jaguars at the Ravens. Baltimore sitting as a 13-point favorite game, total about 46. One guy, one guy only that we care about in this spot for Jacksonville, and that is James RB. One son, one of only five RBs this year with over 200 PPR points. And, you know, before you say, Ian, that's a total number. How come we don't go by game? Okay, fine. He's number six in PPR <laughs> points per game among all our RBs. So, truly, he's been doing it in style. He's tied with Kareem Hunt for the ninth most yards after contact per attempt. He's seventh in yards after the catch per reception behind Alvin Kamara. He's been legit. I'm not saying he's a top five running back in the NFL, but he's also not just someone that's fully just, you know, only gotten production because of overwhelming volume. So look, against the Ravens, not a matchup to target, but the floor has pretty much been the roof for Robinson all season long. And look, he just got unlucky last week. I mean, 20-yard touchdown nullified on a just illegal formation penalty. He had two against the Packers that got nullified. And believe me, I know it's a annoying sometimes to talk about nullified touchdowns because the touchdown wouldn't have occurred if the penalty didn't happen but he's had 
three that I remember that were nullified and two of them were like, again, these ticky tacky illegal formation penalties that had no, you know, reasonable just impact on the play to begin with. So, you know, at the Ravens, Minshew back under center. We got some things moving around. Do not touch any of these wide receivers. Do not touch Minshew, but James Robinson needs to stay in fantasy lines on volume alone. Keep him in there. He's gotten you to his point. He's not going anywhere in week 15. Andrew. Lamar Jackson and company coming off, you know, most exciting game of the season probably. Are you fine treating them as high-end fantasy options in this anyone's idea of a smash spot? Yeah, I mean, Lamar Jackson is doing his best impression of trying to get people to win their toilet balls because that's where you are basically in your playoff standings if you had Lamar Jackson this season because he was pretty much useless for the most part as a quarterback he took high and then now he's starting to finally turn it on with these plus matchups against the Cleveland Browns again, now against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Look, with a lot of these teams so far this season, you know, the season has really been a grind for a lot of NFL teams, especially with all of the protocols that they have to do every single week. And some of these teams, I, I can't imagine, I imagine that are just going to start packing it in. Like the Jaguars, the Jets, te- like these, some of these teams that are, are really not playing for anything. Like if they're down, they're just going to keel over, especially the Jacksonville. So you're going to see the Ravens be able to run absolutely wild in this spot. I mean, we saw Jacksonville give up, you know, over 200 rushing yards to the Titans last week. So it's going to be Lamar Jackson on the ground. It's going to be J.K. Dobbins, even Gus Edwards a little bit. So Dobbins, you know, saw 61% snap chair on Monday night. So that's right in kind of line with what he's gotten as when he's kind of been the starter. Mark Ingram only played one snap. So love Dobbins in the spot. I think Gus Edwards is interesting, kind of similar to like a Jeff Wilson play where, look, he's going to see probably double-digit carries in this game because if they're up a lot, they're not just going to, you know, give Dobbins like 30 carries. Like they're going to give Edwards 10 to 12 touches. And he's been really productive with his touches, you know, all season long. So I think both of those guys are in play. And the thing that's kind of worse about the Jacksonville Jaguars, that's the worst part about it, is they have the last couple weeks, last four weeks, they've actually tried their best to stop the run. They've stacked the box more than any other team. And it doesn't matter. They're still allowing 4.6 yards per attempt in a stacked box. So it doesn't matter if there are eight guys, nine guys, whatever. It doesn't matter. Like they can't stop anyone on the ground. So continue to use these running backs and they're going to feast. Sad times in Jacksonville. Indeed. Next matchup, (laughs) NFC South battle. We got the Buccaneers at the Falcons. Tampa Bay opened up as 3.5 point favorites. That is up to five and a half, 51 and a half game total down to 50.5. So the big storyline in the middle of the season was what happened to Tom Brady's deep ball. And it was fair to say this because in weeks one through four, Brady went 13 for 24 on passes thrown 20 yards downfield. Good for a 55% completion rate. But, you know, in weeks five through 11, he was five for 34. Good for a 15% completion rate. And you could even pick one such stretch in that I think was like one for 19. You know, we're just every single pass downfield seemingly was finding the ground instead of a Buccaneers receiver. But over the past two games, we have seen Brady seem to regain his deep ball six for 11 over the past two games. And that is a 55% completion rate, just like we saw in the first four weeks of the year. So, and this has always kind of been what we've been saying on this podcast. The arm strength has not been the issue. It's been timing. And the fact that we're saying, oh, you know, he still needs to learn the offense. Like to some extent, this is true because every single QB we've seen going to Arians offense in their first year freaking flames out usually in spectacular fashion. I mean, Brady has easily been the best first-year quarterback in Bruce Arians' system. I mean, Jameis, Carson Palmer, Andrew Luck, these guys are responsible for the three highest single-season PFF turnover-worthy play rates, and it all came in their first season in the Bruce Arians' offense. So I think now Brady starting to get more comfortable in it. The offensive line, you know, gave him actually some good time against the Vikings, and now he gets a Falcons team that is the single worst defense in the league in fantasy points per game allowed to position. So Ronald Jones dealing with the fact 
cracks her pinky. We can see more air raid than ever. And look, Brady, the only reason why he didn't have big numbers last week because he threw the ball 23 freaking times. Previously, he only had one game all season below 35. That was a blowout against the Packers. So I think they're going to have to keep their foot on the gas because they don't really have a running back they trust at this point. Because of that, Brady, Goblin, Evans, AB. I know it hasn't quite been the overwhelming production we were hoping for out of this group, but truly, people, this Falcons matchup is not the spot to get mad about why they haven't produced more in the past. It's a spot to look at and say, this could be what we've finally been hoping for from this passing game, and that could be the fantasy football goodness that can advance everyone to Week 16. Andrew, Falcons, no Julio Jones. Been a problem all year. Yeah, it has been a serious issue. But before we go off the, the the Buccaneers, Ronald, so if Ronald Jones doesn't play, are you just picturing this as just an RB mess? Are you, would, you, would you assume that Fournette like takes on the early down role again, or has he just been demoted now because he? I think it's active? too risky. I think it's too risky to even uh, start Fournette with really any level of confidence. I would probably have him as like a top twenty-five, barely option but it'd be a good you know double down low as Ronald Jones. I mean look they put in Shady and gave him like six carries last week it wouldn't be shocking if Fournette was active and LaShawn McCoy was the lead back we don't know really what's going on there now Ronald Jones is I'm, I'm imagining you know Andrew it you know we've talked about this in the year uh with finger injuries like it makes sense that a running back whose finger hurts and their job is to hold onto the ball and catch the ball that seems like it's gonna be a problem so it, it would make sense to me if Jones sees a reduced workload and if Fournette's gonna be out there it's definitely gonna be as a committee so you know yeah Low end RB two at best, I would I would say is my. Answer. I'm just waiting to hear what uh, Bruce Arians has to say when Ronald oh Jones is ruled in ruled an active. He's like, all right, it's gonna be you know Tw- Keyshawn. Twenty Bowen. touches for Lenny. Twenty <laughs> touches for Keyshawn. All Keyshawn. Of oh man. Sixty uh, touches for the backfield. Oh man. Yeah. Hopefully they just say throw the running bet running plays out the out the playbook. Just throw it. Let's let's see the pass attack because it's a it's a pass funnel that is the Atlanta Falcons and yeah Matt Ryan without Julio Jones is rule number eleven as I quote. Never start Matt Ryan without Julio Jones. Been the case all year. He's average average fewer than 11 fantasy points per game without a healthy Julio Jones. And it's just the offense as a whole just stalls. Even like Calvin Ridley's efficiency numbers aren't as good without Julio Jones in the lineup. His targets and his targets are still there, obviously. So you're, Calvin Ridley's always a great play. But look, it's he's the tide that raises all the boats in this Falcons offense when Jones is playing. And look. But regardless, even if Jones comes back, I can't trust Matt Matt Ryan this week. And fierce Bucks pass rush. They should get Jamal Dean back again. One of their better corners, fifth in pass rate or fifth in pressure rate this season for the Bucks. And look, Matt Ryan is just he just isn't. I mean, we we were giving Carson Wentz a lot of like hate this season, but Matt Ryan, man, like he has not been good whatsoever. So I don't know what the Falcons are going to do with him and his bloated contract. So we'll see where that goes, but. I mean, this, I don't want Matt Ryan in this Falcons backfield, three-headed monster, or three-headed, you know, not scary thing. E.O. Smith, Todd Gurley, Brian Hill. Just like, ugh, like the, one of the worst matchups for running backs against an insanely good Buccaneers front seven. Don't want any part of it. I, I can't even say, like, which guy's going to be the goal line back. Like, maybe I thought, girl, oh, maybe he'll get, like, a carry, but they've used Edo Smith there. They used Brian Hill on third down. So I can't even imagine Edo Smith is just the pass-catching back. I guess the only person I'm kind of interested as a fringe player would be Russell Gage. He plays in the slot. He's going to go up against Sean Murphy Bunting, assuming that Jamal Dean comes back. That'll push Sean Murphy Bunting back in the slot. And he's allowed the league's highest passer rating, 120.1, and the third most yards per coverage snap while in the slot so far this season. And look, he's got some uh, passing touchdown upside. 
Look at that. I was just uh, doing a little comparison with the. Uh, all right. So one of the common comparisons we we're making all offseason was how 2020 Calvin Ridley was 2019 Chris Godwin, and he's not quite there yet. Uh, Godwin had 14 games. Uh, Ridley's only had 12, but it's getting close, Andrew. It's getting close. Yes. And I think that was a call that uh, has not, maybe not quite come to fruition. But anyone that did draft Calvin Ridley, obviously feeling good about it as we enter the second round of the fantasy playoffs. Next matchup, we got the Lions at the Titans. We got the line off the board with Matthew Stafford looking doubtful to play due to rib injury. If Stafford is out, we can only somewhat trust one person that is DeAndre Swift because he was out there looking healthy and explosive and I was not sure if he was even going to have a future role the previous week when he was you know clearing he had clear the concussion protocol but they said even if he, even if he plays with the illness he's going to be on a quote-unquote pitch count so we didn't get the 73% snap rate we saw in his you know before he got the concussion but 53% and negative game script that we're likely going to see again we can live with that so Titans eighth worst defense and PPR points per game allowed to RBs again Swift is the only guy you can feel comfortable with here don't go crazy you would be around that kind of low-end RB2 range with guys like Leonard Fournette if Rojo ends up being rolled out. But, you know, still, he's a pass catcher, and he has more juice than, you know, AP or anybody else in this backfield they want to give the ball to at this point. Quick side note on potential starting quarterback Chase Daniels. So he has made $37.8 million in his career to throw <laughs> eight touchdowns and six interceptions. That is $4.8 million per touchdown pass. Now, for reference, Patrick Mahomes has made $225,000 per touchdown pass. Tom Brady, $455,000. Peyton, $461,000. Aaron Rodgers, almost six hundred dollars And Russell Wilson, $617,000. I think someone, uh, I tweeted this out, and someone said Sam Bradford was at like $1.2 million per touchdown pass. But if you can find someone out there that has made more money and done less than Chase Daniel, let me know because for the life of me, I cannot. You got to respect it. The real life Alex Moran, you know, backup quarterback, guy that has never done anything, just played for a lot of smart organizations. And here he is. I believe the Lions are going to be the fourth team to pay Chase Daniel when his contract's said and done at least $10 million. Just, you know, a, a, the epitome of the American dream, Mr. Chase Daniel. You got to respect it. Andrew, Titans, AJB wide receiver one season, Derrick Henry, we know that. Is Corey Davis going to get back on track, though? Yeah, this game really sucks if Stafford can't play because we could see some exciting, you know, back and forth a little bit if we had Matthew Stafford playing in this game. But with Chase Daniel, who, when I did research for him a couple of weeks ago when Stafford was questionable being placed on the COVID list, the one thing I remember Chase Daniel was writing up was that he targeted the running back position a lot. So I love the call there on DeAndre Swift, but... I mean, Chase Daniel, I mean, yeah, he's making all these money throws, but I don't know if he's going to make money throws in the game themselves to actually put up points even on a bad Titans defense. I mean, we've seen guys like Mike Glennon do stuff this year, but I'm just not hopeful. And that's the problem with this game is, look, Derrick Henry's basically just lock him in for 30-plus fantasy points. Look, I mean, he is 156 yards per game, rushing yards per game, to become the eighth player in NFL history to reach 2,000 rushing yards. And he only needs a little bit more than that to break Chris Johnson's record for the Tennessee Titans. And he actually, with, you know, 150 more yards, he could break the all-time record. So, I mean, I mean, they might just run Derrick Henry just to be like, yo, let's just get him this. If they're not, if the Lions are just laying down, like we could see Derrick Henry get 200, 250 rushing yards this game and they get him to break 2,000 before week 17 so they can, they can rest him or something like that. It's just, that's what I'm concerned about is with the passing game for the Titans. But you can't bench them because... 
the Lions can't stop anyone in the passing game. So Ryan Tannehill has, has been uber efficient. That's really what has made his bread and butter. You don't necessarily need volume with him, and that's Corey Davis, A.J. Brown. That's why they rank so high in yards per route run this season because they're super efficient. So you still got to start them. You'd obviously like Stafford to be back there to help keep pace with the other team, but it obviously is a downgrade because if Chase Daniels is, I can't imagine he's going to keep pace uh, with the Tennessee offense. Quick uh, A.J. Brown side note because I can't stop talking about the guy. But on the uh, PFF forecast, uh, you know, G- uh, George and Eric's uh, always awesome podcast. Eric Eager, PFF Eric, gave uh, the gave out the comp that, you know, A.J. Brown is Terrell Owens. And PFF tweeted out and a lot of people were looking at it. And A.J. Brown himself quote tweets it and just says, A.J. Brown is A.J. Brown. If that's not a wide receiver one comment, I don't know what is. Love it's to humble. see it. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Texans at Colts, next one. Indy sitting a six and a half point favorites up to seven and a half, 52 and a half point gain total down to 50.5. We'll see if Brandon Cooks is back. He's being, you know, had this foot, foot and neck injury, wasn't able to tough it out last week. But you look, man, it's a talent around Deshaun Watson at an all time low at this point. I still think he might have enough to get it done against his defense and still continue to be the top five, top six QB that he's pretty much been ever since that first, you know, opening really tough three, four weeks of the season. So this Colts defense, they're very good, but I think that they're one of these defenses that can really beat up on lesser offenses. And we kind of see more competent quarterbacks still be able to put up numbers. I mean, look, Derek Carr, Matthew Stafford, Aaron Rodgers, even Gardner Minshew, all these guys have cleared 20 fantasy points with relative ease. Deshaun Watson, when they played literally two weeks ago, already Will Fuller gone. I mean, he was at 19.4 points, so wasn't far behind. Yeah, in that game, 341 passing yards, another 38 yards in a score on the ground. No Will Fuller, no problem. They were a freaking bad snap inside the five-yard line from knocking off this Colts team. I still think Deshaun Watson is a top five real-life and fantasy quarterback. It's amazing that he continues to do this without Fuller, without DeAndre Hopkins, and now without Brandon Cooks. But he's such a stud. Keep trusting the man. Unless, you, unless you're just so blessed with the, at the QB position, you have top five options. Deshaun Watson needs to remain in fantasy football lineups, even in a slightly more tough spot than usual. Andrew, Colts. T.Y. Hilton keeps balling out. Seemingly won't stop, and now he faces a defense that once upon a time he wore a clown mask in the playoff game against. Can he keep it up? So T.Y. Hilton's Twitter avatar is a ghost because that's exactly what he is. He has risen from the fantasy grave to come back and haunt the fantasy managers that dropped him earlier this season because the dude is absolutely in fuego right now. Dude, he is kind of looking... He's becoming the Devontae Adams of this offense. Like, when Phillip Rivers gets down near the goal line, he's looking for Hilton. You look at end zone target percentage, he is tied with Devontae Adams over the past four weeks with 60% of the team's end zone targets. It's it's the Devontae Adams-Aaron Rodgers corollary in Indianapolis between Hilton and Rivers. And look, I mean, it's not crazy to think that it took a little bit of time for them to kind of get on the same page. There was no offseason this year. And, you know, Hilton has always been dealing with injuries here and there. It seems like he's really healthy right now. And look, dude, he's averaged 17 career games, 97 receiving yards against the Texans. Like, come on. I remember researching this back in 2012 when I'd be like, oh, T.Y. Hilton's playing the Texans? Oh, you got to lock him in. So, look, he's a really strong wide receiver to play this week. I mean, I just love it. Eighth in team air yard share, 41%. I mentioned the end zone targets. So, I just think he's in a really good spot. And look, don't pay attention to what he did during the beginning of the year. This is now, this is, he is a playoff winning type of player that you want in your lineups because he's getting all the usage right now. And look, we know that he's a been, he's a good player. Like he, this isn't some random guy. Like we know who T.Y. Hilton is. So I think you got to ride him. And the same guy goes for, 
Jonathan Taylor, who's finally starting to kind of turn things around a little bit. Weeks 1 through 10, this is per Anthony Tresh, one of PFF's own. Weeks 1 through 10, 62.4 rushing grade, 43rd rank. Weeks 11 through 14, 90 rushing grade, number one overall, Jonathan Taylor. Look, he's finally starting to, I think it was an injury, honestly. They, they, they mentioned that he was banged up a little bit, so it looks like he's finally healthy and he's taken over as the starter. Snapshare 58% carries. Of, of 20 last week, which was his highest workload since week two, turned it into 150 yards and two touchdowns. He has 55 carries since week 11, which ranks ninth overall. So look, man, it's the Houston Texans. They can't stop anyone on the ground. Third most fantasy points to running backs over the past four weeks. So Taylor is a locked and loaded RB1. And if you were patient, again, you know, rookies have their struggles. If you were patient with them, then you are uh, reaping the benefits. And that's the thing, like, you can look back at these last three matchups, Titans, Texans, and Raiders, and you can easily make a fair argument that the only reason why Taylor and Hilton have gone off to this extent is because they've been facing dog piss defenses. Well, they got the Texans again. No Roby, <laughs> no freaking problem, man. So, like, that's just that argument, just like we said last week, not really going away right now. But week 16 against the Steelers, okay, we'll be talking in that outdoor game. But for week 15, I'm with you. We got to keep trusting these guys. And even Michael Pittman, like, okay, you're not feeling great about him, but if there is going to be a week that you want to bet on him converting his five to seven targets into more production than usual, this is that spot. Next matchup, we got the Eagles at the Cardinals. Arizona sitting as six and a half point favorites. Game total 47 and a half up to 48 and a half. Jalen Hurts is my QB 10 this week. Here are the guys I would want to start ahead of him. Mahomes, Rodgers, Josh Allen, Deshaun Watson, Lamar Jackson, Russ, Kyler, and then Justin Herbert and Tom Brady as well. Look, the rushing upside is obvious. You know, I believe it was a Rich Rebar once upon a time coined the Konami code, fantasy football cheat code. We get it pretty much any position with dual threat upside, but he was so dreadful as a passer. And I'm just really worried, man, if what's going to happen if like a Taysom Hill situation, like Taysom Hill has been great when they're up in the game and he doesn't have to come back. When he does have to come back, like, okay, I think he still finished as like the QB9 last week, but a little fluky takeaway, one of those jump ball touchdowns not looking so good not not meant to hate on Taysom Hill but let's focus on Jalen Hurts is 41.5 PFF passing grade last week third worst single game mark by any rookie QB this year only behind Ben freaking Danucci against the Eagles and Jake Luton against the Steelers so you know go to pff.com Seth Galina wrote an awesome piece on Monday about you know Jalen Hurts's first start and basically the reason why the Eagles won that game you know Jalen Hurts rushing was great but it was more so because they didn't drop a pass for the first time all season. Their defense played fantastic. Miles Sanders had a freaking monster 80-plus yard touchdown run. Like, it just wasn't the type of performance to make us think that, hey, there's a super high, you know, floor or really ceiling for Hurts, particularly as a passer. So, again, QB 10. Like, that is solid. But don't get too carried away because, again, right now it seems super one-dimensional. And until we see anything in this passing game, we definitely can't trust any of the receivers or tight ends. So, Jalen Hurts, QB 10. Miles Sanders, legit RB1. But don't get cute otherwise, people. Andrew, one, we got another Russian quarterback on the other side of the ball. Kyler wasn't running uh, all that recently, but seems like that may have turned around, huh? Yes, the rushing attempts went back up. Over the past three weeks, he was right around five carries per game, but it went all the way up to 13. And I think that this actually has to do with his injury in terms of it actually becoming healed all the way. I talked about this with Mario Pilato, injury, our PFF's own injury expert, and I was talking to him through Slack, basically saying, you know, how long is this injury going to take? And he said at the time it was one to three weeks. So 
That three-week period ended last week, and it coincided with Kyler Murray seeing his highest rushing totals since the time of the injury. So to me, this is telling me, hey, he is healthy now, so the rushing attempts are going to continue to be there and continue to be plentiful for Kyler Murray. So I think he's back in the good graces of that top-five quarterback, and look— it was only a couple months or a couple like weeks ago that he was on pace as like the best fantasy quarterback ever. So make sure you start him this week. Don't get cute. Don't play Jalen Hurts over Kyler Murray. Don't do those stupid things. Like play Kyler Murray. He's in a good spot. So I like it. And look at this Eagles secondary is totally banged up all over the place. And look, he's throwing it to DeAndre Hopkins. That's basically all he's doing. 37% target share over the past two weeks. 31% target share since week 11. Darius Slay has been basically outdone in every time he's faced an alpha wide receiver. So I think it's a big week for DeAndre Hopkins. Big week for Kyler Murray. He's actually ranks second in terms of fantasy points versus expectation underperforming over the past four weeks. So I think that he has a lot of making up to do in terms of his opportunities. And also it's important to remind Kenyon Drake is kind of balling out these last couple weeks, but it's also came at the expense of Kyler. So I think Kenyon Drake's going to fall back down a little bit again. Last week, he only had one catch, which coincided with obviously Murray rushing again. So I think Drake's floor is a little bit lowered now without the pass catching. But again, you're still going to start him just because it's a good offense. Go with Kenyon Drake. Yeah, keep an eye on this Eagles secondary because I mentioned, you know, Taysom started to come back and I just didn't have much context to it. But really, this Saints offense yeah. wasn't doing anything <laughs> until each of Avante Maddox, <laughs> Rodney McLeod, and Darius Slade, three starters in secondary, all left in that second half. Yep. So if that remains out, then maybe, you know, Christian Kirk and we can actually talk about some higher-end passing stacks. But to your point, yes, DeAndre Hopkins, Kyler Murray, maybe a little Drake, and that's all. Jets at the Rams. We'll try to make this one short. Rams sitting at 16 and a half point favorites, 44.5 point game total. So Jets are the only team in the past 10 years with a point differential of more than negative 200 in the first 14 weeks of the year. This year, minus 210. The Jaguars are in 31st at minus 122. Like the Jets have been freaking 88 points worse than the next cl closest bad team this year. Absolutely absurd. Over the last three seasons, uh, or, excuse me, over the past two seasons in the Adam Gase era, look, the bottom three offenses in terms of EPA per play, 2019 Steelers, that atrocity with Mason Rudolph and Doug Hodge, 2019 and 2020 Jets. Just ridiculous. It's bad players with bad coaching and just committees all the way around. No, you're not starting a single jet. I don't even want to talk about it anymore. Andrew, hit me with some Rams goodness. <laughs> all right, baby. It's all start all the Rams because it's the Jets, like you said. And look, the Jets, give it to the credit, somehow have PFF's fourth best run defense grade to fight the fact that they're always losing in games. You know, they sell out. To no, sell we're not the giving them credit. That's because they sell out against the run in the <laughs> right. year 2020. And it makes no sense, but please continue. <laughs> They sell it to sell the run. You know, that's their goal every week. Stop the run game and just get ripped to shreds by the pass. <laughs> that's exactly what they do. But that shouldn't make you hesitant at all about starting Cam Akers. He has 50 rushing attempts his last two games, solidifying his role as the team's lead dog in the backfield. Look, the matchup's probably not as juicy on paper. You know, the Patriots have been a middle-of-the-road run defense. Obviously, I mentioned the Jets being a better run defense. But look, 17-point favorites at home. You want to start running backs because he's going to have some touchdown equity. He's going to have opportunities to score. So that's one reason why you want to start Cam Akers. And the other thing is the Jets defense, its biggest holes against the run have been against outside zone runs. So against that, that run concept this season, they rank 20th in yards per attempt allowed and 31st in rushing yards allowed before contact per attempt. So 
That means the lanes are going to be wide open for Cam Akers, who's averaging 5.2 yards per carry from outside zone. And LA leads or ranks second in rushing yards created before contact from outside zone. So the lanes are going to be wide open for the rookie to run wild. And if you feel like feel like being dangerous, maybe roll with one of these tight ends. Again, if you need upside, you need a guy that has some touchdown potential, Higby. Look, the Jets have allowed more touchdowns to tight ends than any other team this season. So if you need a dart throw at tight end, you need help. Look, Higby had a game this year, but he scored three touchdowns. Like, if you're up against Travis Kelsey this week, maybe roll with Higby and hope, hey, maybe I can get a tight end to match Travis Kelsey's high-end production. Start players against the Jets and fantasy football production will follow. <laughs> Next matchup, we got three more, everybody. Chiefs at Saints. Kansas City Saints a three-point favorite. Game total at 50. Look, ever in NFL history, seven QBs have averaged at least 25 fantasy points per game with a minimum of six starts. 2019, Lamar Jackson. 2011, Aaron Rodgers. 2010, Mike Vick. 2014, Peyton Manning. 2020, Kyler. He's back there. In 2018, as well as 2020, Patrick Mahomes. The guy has been just as productive as he was in his MVP season. And it's looking like it's coming down to the wire between him and Aaron Rodgers for who is crowned as the most valuable player of 2020. So, look, not an easy matchup by any stretch of the imagination. Saints are number three defense in EPA per play since returning from their week seven bye. But, come on. Mahomes threw three interceptions and took a 30-yard sack last week. It just didn't matter. The guy was still looking like the best quarterback in the league, even in one of his, you know, quote-unquote worst game. So I do not expect Taysom Hill to keep up, keep going back to the well with these Chiefs. I think that does include Clyde Edwards-Alaire. He's going to be a tough person to keep out of the top 20 because we did see a role change with him back in action. I mean, before the illness thing that was going on, he was only playing about 50% of the offensive snaps. So it was Le'Veon Bell and Daryl Williams usually splitting the other 50%. Last week, though, 75% snaps for Clyde, 16 carries, six targets. Le'Veon had two carries and three targets, and that was it for the rest of the backfield. So with this sort of usage, it's borderline RB1 level. I think they ran the ball more against the Dolphins than we'll see in this spot and moving forward, so don't get too carried away, but we saw some of that receiving goodness out of Clyde. He's going to be a number three receiver. Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, I get that. And you know, even Sammy Watkins could, you know, burst his way in there. But Clyde, you know, I know he hasn't been exactly what we've been hoping for this year, but with this usage, he is a legit RB2 option this week, and I'm going to be saying and start him in most start sick questions. Real quick, though, shout out Travis Kelsey. Not just leading tight ends in receiving yards, leading the entire freaking NFL in receiving yards. It's absolutely amazing what he can do as a receiver, even though we call him a tight end because he's that much of a badass blocker as well. Also, real quick, from PFF's own Ian Wolf, just saw this one come across the... Uh, Come across the, whatever the hell you want to call it, but cool stat. <laughs> Tyreek Hill leads the league with eight touchdowns on passing on passing targets, 20 yards downfield. Only 10 other wide receivers have eight or more total receiving touchdowns. So Tyreek Hill has freaking more touchdowns down the field than just about anyone can attest to wherever they are on the field. Truly just special plays, special production out of everybody from this offense week in and week out all season. Andrew, sounds like Taysom Hill will probably be out there for another week. Do you have any confidence in these guys, you know, keeping up with Patrick Mahomes and company? All right. Well, we saw 10 targets from Alvin Kamara last week, and that was encouraging. It was like, all right, sick. You know, maybe we just need this negative game script. You look at the games that they had played the three weeks prior. It was two games against the Falcons, which they both won, and one game against the aforementioned Kendall Hinton-led Denver Broncos. So they didn't really need to use Kamara in a pass-catching role in those games. And when this game they were trailing, okay, like, let's target Kamara. And it wasn't just on checkdowns. Like, there were a couple first reads that he was being targeted on. So it's really good to see. And look, I mean, you have to imagine, like, they've been with this offense with Taysom Hill. Maybe this was just an addition to their offense that they were adding in. Maybe Kamara really wasn't a vocal point 
for them when the Taysom Hill first took over, and now they're like, hey, like let's add this back in. And I can only imagine, like, hey, we're playing against the most explosive offense on the other side of the field. Like, we should probably get the ball to our most explosive playmaker in Alvin Kamara. So again, we all see know that the Chiefs defense is weakest against the run. So even if they jump out to a lead, I'm talking about the Saints here, it's probably going to be because of Alvin Kamara, not necessarily because of Taysom Hill's arm. So I really like Kamara in this spot to really kind of maybe flash some of his high-end upside like he did in the beginning of the season, even without Drew Brees under center. And Jared Cook, man, he's kind of come back a little bit after it looked like his fantasy value hit rock bottom. Look, back-to-back weeks as a tight end one, and Kansas City has really been bad against tight ends. A lot of the second most fancy points to the position over the past four weeks. So again, if you're expecting that the Saints are going to be trailing in this game, they're going to have to throw a little bit more. I like Kamara a little bit more, and I like Jared Cook. Jared Cook's a candle play, bro. You're just praying that that one works out. <laughs> I Man, I don't know. I don't like that. We'll see. We'll see. All first time depositors on Monkey Knife Fight that put at least 20 bucks in their account while using promo code PFF will receive a free PFF Edge annual subscription. That's a $40 value for just $20, folks. And you'll get the opportunity to turn that $20 into even more money playing daily fantasy and prop games at one of the fastest growing fantasy sports sites in the USA and Monkey Knife Fight. So go to Monkey Knife Fight, deposit your $20 with promo code PFF today to receive your free PFF Edge annual subscription. Two more games, everybody. Sunday Night Football, Browns at the Giants. Cleveland sitting as a four-point favorite, 45.5 game total. Look, first of all, great game from Baker Mayfield. Last week and really over the past three weeks, I know it, or not by last week, I just mean Monday night. But, like, I, I saw Brandon Marshall, the old Bears wide receiver, was getting ripped apart on Twitter for trying to say that Baker Mayfield, who led the Browns to 42 points, was the man at fault for that performance. So, with that out of the way, like, <laughs> let's give some uh, credit to this backfield because there's a three-way tie in most forced missed tackles per carry over the past two seasons. Josh Jacobs, Nick Chubb, and Kareem Hunt. They truly have two of the league's top 10 running backs in real life in Cleveland right now. And you look at the whole year, man, and they've been pretty close to that in fantasy as well. So look, Nick Chubb, he's still going to be the guy that we have more confidence in. He's going to be ranked higher than Kareem Hunt, particularly in a matchup where we're expecting the Browns to have more positive game script than they had against the Ravens. But man, I would love to see them get Kareem Hunt just more involved in the offense when they're able to just play with the lead and just out every single play, man. I don't like that someone as good as Kareem Hunt can't be playing, you know, for 70% of the offensive snaps just because Nick Chubb is also awesome. I mean, look, Dalvin Peoples-Jones, like he's been making some plays, but I love every time they put Kareem Hunt out in the slot or out wide. He is third among 33 qualified backs this year in yards per reception when he's lined up in the slot or out wide. He just hasn't done so for more than six snaps in a game this season. I mean, he averaged 12.1 such snaps in 2019. We saw he had that sick, uh, you know, double move for a big game down the one yard line last week or Monday night and then he also scored the freaking walk-off touchdown or not walk-off the go-ahead touchdown tying touchdown my goodness uh lined up out wide as well on the curl route so he's just a freaking problem with the ball in his hands and when you put him out there even if they do guard him with a cornerback he's probably going to break the tackle and if you guard him with anything other than a cornerback he's probably going to be too quick and get away from him so truly a matchup problem and just keep an eye on this because I think the best version of the Browns offense which we've seen flashes of it but I truly think the best version they can unlock will involve both Chuck and Hunt being on the field for a majority of the offensive snaps. So both of them, in my mind, are top 15 options at the position this week against a good, not great Giants defense, particularly when you just look at the production they've allowed to running backs throughout the season. Andrew, this Giants offense looks awful at the moment. Are we trusting anybody here? Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely tough sledding. I mean, Evan Ingram has a really good matchup against the Browns. They've allowed the second most fantasy points to tight ends this season. So again, Depends on what your alternative is. 
I mean, probably like a guy like Cole Komet, you can get off the waiver wire, I think is probably safer. But if you need more upside, I mean, Ingram, we know, is a talented t- tight end. He can make plays down the field. And a couple weeks ago, he was actually being used heavily down the field. He had a really long A dot as opposed to what he's seen most of the season where he's basically kind of seen the Juju Smith-Schuster type of average depth of target, which we don't absolutely love for our fantasy tight ends. But Evan Ingram, again, don't hate the play. But look, we got to get good reports about Daniel Jones, about his health, and hopefully he'll be a little bit healthier because last week he couldn't move, and basically he was just a statue. And that's why we saw Hassan Reddick get five sacks in one game. So that guy's going to get paid thanks to Daniel Jones' hamstring not functioning. But the Giants running back, I do want to play in this spot, Wayne Gallman. The RB1 streak ended on Sunday, but really it was no fault of his own because freaking Deion Lewis siphoned the goal line touchdown. When I, I thought it was him, I was like, yes, Wayne Gallman touchdown. Like, let's go. And no, it was Deion Lewis. I was like, are you serious? Like, Wayne Gallman's been getting those touches all season long. He's been like the strict goal line back. And then the one time it's like, oh, no, we're just going to give it to Deion Lewis. So Wayne Gallman, you got to go back. Before this game, he had been so super consistent. So continue to go back to him. Don't care about Devontae Freeman, whether he comes back or not. Wayne Gallman has been done more than enough to be the RB1 in that offense. And look, the Browns have allowed the most touchdowns to running backs over the past two weeks. So continue to fire up Wayne Gallman. That's really the only guy I want to play. Yeah. Yeah. Bad. Bad all the way around. <laughs> New, Final... York, New York's not fun to talk about for yeah. fantasy. Yeah. The season is in full swing and the action is still unfolding, so head over to DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app with so many storylines in both professional and collegiate sports. This is the time to check out all that DraftKings Sportsbook has to offer. If you haven't tried the app yet, head to the App Store now because you do not want to miss this, people. To celebrate Sunday's action, DraftKings is ensuring all new users are covered up to $100. That's right, you bet they cover with risk-free Sunday betting. Additionally, this weekend, there is plenty of action to get on, so head to the app now to start making it rain. On top of those great sign-up offers, DraftKings offers great odds boosts every Sunday to help you make it rain. DraftKings is safe, reliable, and secure, making it easy for you to deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code PFF when you sign up to get this can't-miss offer. Again, DraftKings Sportsbook is ensuring your Sunday bets up to $100. That's right. You bet, and they cover up to $100 when you use promo code PFF during sign-up. For a limited time, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. So, must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. Risk-free coverage paid out in site credits. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. We got, we got one more that seems aren't fun to talk about. We will do our best. Final matchup of the week, Steelers at Bengals on Monday Night Football. Pittsburgh sends a 12-point favorite game, total of 41.5. So, look, with this passing game, because James Conner is dealing with his quad injury, it sounds like he's going to try to play through it, but the Steelers don't run the ball. None of these running backs are viable <laughs> options this week. Big Ben has had 35 drops this season, though. No other QB has more than 30. I mean, look. I love Deontay Johnson when he gets the ball in his hands too, but we can't just keep saying that drops don't matter. And then we're like, well, I want someone that's open enough to get the ball drops. They're throwing him screens. Everybody is open on those. It's not like Deontay's dropping these balls, you know, 30 yards downfield. Like he has deep ball ability. He can run nice routes. Again, I like Deontay Johnson, but at this point, like he's the number, 
I think he's been their probably third best receiver more weeks than not. Like the fact that James Washington has taken so long to kind of get back in there when really he's done nothing except make plays. Chase Claypool's inexplicably not getting full-time reps. Juju Smith-Schuster played every single snap last week and the entire time in the PFF offices, we were joking about Juju is just the wide receiver version of Zeke pretty much at this point <laughs> with the dude not able to create anything after the catch. So it's like, you know, I, I talk about Michael Pittman, most of his production coming on uncovered like stuff. My goodness, Juju Smith-Schuster is that times 100 this year i don't think he's been healthy since 2018 you look he's still missing wednesday practice with a knee injury and i'm not trying to shit on juju too hard here but like what are the what is this team watching in terms of like deciding who the ball goes to on offense because to me james washington and to a larger extent chase claypool have been the guys where when you're throwing them the ball good things are happening all year but we keep just trying to force this short stuff to juju and deontay over and over again and what happens guys start jumping these short routes anticipating them and you got big ben throwing you know pick six before halftime and all that so, look, this is the matchup where it's going to be okay. They're facing the Bengals, and we got this volume. You know, Deontay, I, they're not going to go away from him. We saw him come back in the second half. He's still getting the targets. We can still cautiously treat him as, you know, a top 24 option. But Claypool, Washington, Juju, it's unfortunate in one of the most pass-happy hop- offenses in the league. We can't really trust more than one wide receiver. And even that one, you know, leads the league with 12 freaking drops. So, it's an annoying situation. So, Deontay... Eric Ebron to a little lesser extent. Those are fine. But again, people, I, I had to tell a lot of, uh, you know, just start sick questions last week. Like, do not play Chase Claypool just because it's the snaps. I think he's the best wide receiver in Pittsburgh right now, but they seem to not agree, at least in terms of the opportunity they're dishing out. So Deontay, Ebron, be very careful otherwise, even in this prime matchup. And I guess Ben is, you know, an upside QB2 in his own right. But, you know, career low, average target depth, no rushing upside. We just haven't really seen too many boom performances. So I'm usually going to be taking other people than the Steelers despite this being a great matchup. Andrew, if you can find something nice to say about this Bengals team, man, I'll be impressed because truly, I think it's a minor miracle they even won two games with Joe Burrow. I cannot say enough bad things about the job Zach Taylor has done there since taking over in 29. This team has even been competitive for the better part of the last two years. Do you expect that to change? Or are they just going to, you know, bench their longtime 10-year running back again when he fumbles? When he breaks, like, the league's longest fumble streak, they're going to bench him? Is that... God, I'm, I'm still mad about it. Go, go, go on, Andrew. Go ahead. It's it's rough sled in here for the Cincinnati Bengals. And look, that's kind of the carousel they're doing also with the receiver position. Like two weeks ago, it was T. Higgins that scored. Last week was Tyler Boyd. Or two weeks ago was Tyler Boyd. And then this past week, it was A.J. Green. So there's a chance probably one Bengals receiver will score a touchdown at some point in this game, especially with the Steelers, you know, banged up a little bit in their secondary. But it's anybody's guess. I'm going to guess it's not going to be A.J. Green just because he's been the worst and most inconsistent receiver out of the bunch. So don't go chasing box scores with A.J. Green. Please don't do it. He's had plenty of games with tons of targets and touchdowns every once in a while, but just, just don't do it. Don't do it to yourself. It's just not worth it. Look, of the two receivers, again, Boyd and T. Higgins, again, they're both kind of like in that wide receiver three range. You don't want to start them, especially like Boyd. Boyd's like the safest one just because he's probably the most targeted nine targets last week and the Steelers have faced the six most targets to slot wide receivers so look if you're like entering your Monday night playoff game you need like four points to win okay like lock in Tyler Boyd you're like you're good to go but if you need a lot more upside I think the play is Higgins like look the Steelers show they have many problems in their secondary with alpha wide receivers just check the Sunday night stat line from Stefan Diggs and look T. Higgins is that kind of up-and-coming alpha wide receiver that could come through with a big game in this spot Last time he played the Steelers, seven catches, 115 yards, and a touchdown. He is the Hail Mary play that could deliver a fantasy championship berth for those in a hole on Monday Night Football. So T. Higgins, if you're if you're dire straits going into your playoff on Monday night, 
Go to T. Higgins. Hopefully, can come away with a big game. Don't play any of the Cincinnati Bengals running backs. Bernard, Travion Williams, Samaje P. Ryan, Cedric Benson, you know, Joe Mixon, any, any of these guys, anyone they put back there, you can't play. Cedric them. Benson. Oh, my goodness. What a name. I love it. This Bengals offense in 21 games without Joe Burrow over the past two years, 24 or fewer points in 19 of those occasions. I hear you on T. Higgins, bright future and everything. But, yeah, if you can just avoid having any Bengals or Jets or Giants in those starting lineups, I think that would be good for fantasy football business. That's going to do it, everybody. Thank you, as always, for listening to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Andrew, what do you got in the docket this week? Yeah, breaking down the high-value opportunities. Last week's article, I had Nelson Aguilar and Brandon Ayuk featured, and both of those Ooh. guys had really solid games in, in DFS. They both had really great games. So trying to unravel, unfind diamonds in the rough for this week's slate. So we got some games on Saturday, Sunday. It's going to be fun. Saturday football, buddy. Two of them. Two Saturday football games in this economy. You absolutely love it. That's going to do it, everybody. He's Andrew Erickson. I'm Ian Hart. This has been the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. New episodes every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, trying to give you the best information to go win those championships. So best of luck, everybody, in Week 15 and Week 16 after you get that W. And until next time, take care, everybody. Bye.